Good morning. Thank you, team, for singing that great song to remind us that we got to go down to the river to pray, to find the good old way. On Friday morning, we invited the congregation to join together in prayer. We had close to 150 people either here or in the room at 645 Friday morning praying for the direction of our country. Our bishop joined us as we prayed together, seeking to examine our perspective, but also to look at our priorities. There's no question that we continue to be, to live in a broken world. And today we are living in more tension and more stress, more unrest, more division, more anxiety than any time in our lifetimes. From a pandemic to racial injustice to political crisis, we live in a land divided. And I remind you, beyond all of this is an evil one who is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, putting families, marriages, economies, and the very fabric of our nation at risk. The odds are stacked against us. And without God's presence, without God's power, without God's divine intervention, we're in trouble. And the choices we make will greatly determine our odds of finding meaning, direction, and purpose in our life. Looking back whenever I was a young college student, for whatever reason, I chose to major in sociology. Probably not a good idea. But I quickly learned as a young college student that the odds were stacked against me. Because as I studied social science, I realized that the odds were against children of divorce. I had grown up in two broken homes. At that time, my dad had been, was working on his third marriage. As I looked at those social statistics, it didn't give me a lot of hope in meeting the odds of succeeding in marriage or even in life. And unfortunately, those statistics have not changed. If you're a product of a broken home, you have a 15 to 20% higher odds of experiencing a divorce. And this astonishing statistic, if both husband and wife are children of divorce, they have a 200% higher risk of divorce, odds stacked against us. Now, divorce doesn't just change the odds for future marriage. They also affect society in other destructive ways. The University of Chicago did a study of 171 cities with populations of over 100,000 and found that the higher the divorce rate in those cities, the higher the crime rate. In a study of 6,400 boys over the age of 20 years old who grew up without fathers in their home, those boys were two to three times more likely to commit crime than boys who had a father in their home. Psychologist Judith Walderson, in a study of children of divorce, found that 25 years later, those same children as adults, continue to struggle with change and conflict 
and fear of loss. So as a young college student, I had a choice to make as a child of divorce. I could become a statistic of social science, or with God's help, I could beat the odds and have a story of salvation. I believe that same thing is true for us today. We have a choice to make, to invite God into our problems, to invite God into our situations, whatever they may be, and God has the power to change the odds. Somebody say amen to that. The statistics say that if you're a person of a strong faith and you're married, your chance of divorce is 14% lower. And couples who are in faith together and pray together and go to church together and are involved in serving God through ministry have a much lower chance of divorce. And the real game changer for couples is prayer. Prayer really changes the odds. Because when you're a couple and you pray together, you're inviting God into your struggles. You're inviting God to, into your messes. And prayer increases intimacy. And it also gives a deeper concern for one another. Today, I trust God to change the odds for you. If we will look at the good old way, we can find direction for help. As a young college student, I had to make four simple decisions. I didn't have to, but I chose to make four simple decisions with those social statistics, with my upbringing coming through broken homes. I made this decision to turn to God. I made a decision to tell God about my concerns, about my future. I trusted God with my future, and I began to thank God for what he was going to do in my life. I turned to him, I told him, I trusted him, and I began to thank him for my future. And that was 46 years ago, and God has come through every single time because we can trust God to change the odds. I want to read to you this morning this scripture from Galatians chapter 6. If you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Beginning with verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I pray that you would help us not to grow weary. Even in times of struggle, May we continue to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Take my words and use them to reveal your truth, how your way can change the odds in this life, in this world that we live in. May you be glorified, may you be honored, and may you change us today. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, before I get too far into this text, here in Galatians chapter 6, about sowing and reaping, the context of the chapter is about providing support, financial support for teachers and pastors. I'm not going to spend my time on that because there's also a principle woven throughout scripture of reaping and sowing that Paul was talking about here. But I just want to say thank you to our church for your incredible faithfulness in supporting our staff. During a time of COVID, during a time whenever ministries were struggling and ministries were were slowing down, you never slowed down in your support. And our staff remained strong and positioned, ready for what is next. So thank you for living in to what Paul is teaching about that here. Let me begin by talking about this very simple principle that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Now, most of us are not farmers, but we all of us sow seed every day. To sow means to spread, to utilize, to invest, to choose. And Paul was using this illustration of farming in other places in Scripture where Jesus uses this same illustration of farming to tell us that what we sow, what we scatter, what we choose will have an impact on our faith, does have an impact on our families, does impact our finances, and ultimately it impacts our futures. What we sow in our hearts and what we sow in the hearts and lives of those around us will have both an immediate and a long-term impact. And in this passage here in chapter 6, I believe that Paul is referring back to what he said in Galatians chapter 5 in a familiar passage, a strong passage in chapter 5 when he's contrasting sowing in the flesh in the things of the world, the things of the culture versus sowing in the spirit. So if you want to turn your Bible over to chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up in verse 16. So I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then down to verse 19, the acts of the flesh are obvious. If you sow in the flesh, here's what you're going to reap. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a strong passage about sowing in the flesh, sowing in the world, sowing in a way that chases and tries to emulate the culture more than sowing in the spirit. He goes on to say in verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit When you sow in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Somebody say amen to that. Don't we need more love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in our world right now? Anybody? Absolutely. And we got to sow in the spirit of God against such things. There is no law 
Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us continue to sow in the Spirit. Let's stay in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Now hear this important biblical truth. Destiny is determined by our decisions. Your destiny is determined by your decisions. You reap what you sow. And we are free to choose, but we are not free from the consequences of our choices. Hosea said it this way in chapter 8, they have sown the wind and they will reap the whirlwind. Their corn stalks stand there barren, withered, sickly, with no grain. If it has any, foreigners will eat it. Israel is destroyed. She lies among the nations as a broken pot. Why? Because of the consequences of her choices. Now, this is both personal, it is both corporate, that as a nation, we will reap what we sow. As a people, we will reap what we sow. As a church, we will reap what we sow. As God's people, we will reap what we sow. But to those who sow and those who choose to invest in the things of God, they will be blessed whether it's in family or faith or finances or your future. I love these words when it regards to what Jesus said about investing. He said in Matthew 6 from the message, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. burglars. Stockpile treasures in heaven where it is safe from moss and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, the place you sow, the place you stand is the place you will most want to be and end up being there. You reap what you sow. And this important word this morning, we need to hear this, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. You cannot change the natural law of creation. The reality of sowing and reaping is clearly demonstrated in creation. Whenever a farmer sows corn, he reaps corn. He never reaps wheat. The pattern is the same as spiritual seeds. We cannot sow discord and produce unity. We cannot sow lies and produce truth. We cannot sow sin and produce holiness. God is not mocked. But there are plenty of people who believe that that may be true for you, but I'm gonna play the odds and it's not true for me. I will not reap a harvest from seeds I sow. I can sow whatever seeds I want and still get a good harvest. I'm gonna play the odds and do whatever I wanna do and it'll work out fine for me. God is not mocked. What leads to that kind of thinking? 
that somehow we are above the natural law of God, that we can do whatever we want to do and expect good or different results. Jeremiah 17 points it out that the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. Our hearts will deceive us to try to convince us to do whatever you want to do and it'll turn out okay. The heart is hopefully, hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. God is not mocked. God gets to the root, not as we pretend them to be, but as they are. Our capacity of self-deception is scary. It's amazing how blind otherwise brilliant people can be about their own direction of life. In fact, the more brilliant people are, the more skilled they are at developing rationalizations to deceive themselves to hide from God. I can figure this out. I can do it my way. God is not mocked. And the next great truth here this morning, God is at work even when we cannot see the results. When we sow in the spirit, even though we can't see the results, we know that God is at work. When I go out and plant food plots, and I love to do that in the spring of the year for turkeys or for deer, and I plant the seed, I keep wanting to go back and see how it's doing, right? And nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. Did I fertilize enough? Did I plant the seed too deep? What's going on? I want to dig it up and find out. But if I wait, sure enough, a crop will begin to spring up. God is at work even when we can't see the results. When the seed is in the ground, the seed is being transformed. It's where we learn to live by faith and not by fear. Somebody say amen to that. In this world today, we have to live by faith And not fear because our God is still at work. No matter how difficult things are in our country, no matter how confusing things are in our life, no matter how frustrating things are with COVID, our God is still on the throne. And our God still is at work. I was talking to a friend of mine, a a good Baptist guy who's a cowboy, who uh, is an outdoorsman, and he's a Trump supporter, and he was disappointed in the election. He was deeply disappointed in what happened in our country this week. And I was talking to him about it this week. He says, you know what? I'm at peace. I'm at peace because I know that my God is in control. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do next. You see, we have a God who is in control. And we as believers will put our trust in God and sow in the things of God at the right time. God will reveal his harvest. First Peter 5 says it this way, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Not under the mighty power of a person or a politician, but humble yourself under the mighty power of God and at the right time, what? He will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. My friends, We as Christians live in a 
in a, we have a dual citizenship. We are members of the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ came to establish. And we're also citizens of this great country, the greatest country on the planet, I believe. And there's a tension between where we cast our allegiance to. And our first love must not be in a person or a position or in a politician, but in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who will have the final say. He will be the one that will lift you up. He is the one you take your worries and your cares to. Now, we should pray for our country. I talked about that on Friday morning. We should pray for politicians. You know, I shared Friday morning that in 2 Timothy 2, that Paul told Timothy that he should, we should pray for rulers and authorities. And guess who the ruler was during Timothy's time that Paul was telling him to pray for? It was Nero. And Nero did more to destroy, try to destroy Christianity than any other ruler probably in the history of the world. And what did Paul say? Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for people in authority because you're praying to the one who has the answers, who is God Almighty. Now, the next thing I would say to you this morning that we reap in a different season than we sow. And that's hard, isn't it? We reap now, but we don't reap to later. And that reaping can be exponential. Rome was not built in a day. Plants do not grow overnight. Athletes do not become strong and proficient in a week. Children are not born overnight. Wisdom is not gained quickly. And so it goes on throughout life. It is the way of creation that we reap in a different season than we sow. And so we need to learn to wait on the goodness and the graciousness of God. And that's hard, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to wait on the goodness and graciousness of God. And don't make the mistake that, of thinking that because you've got away with something that you, that you sowed, <laughs> that you knew you shouldn't sow, that just because it hasn't sprouted yet, you've gotten away with it. If you have sowed something you shouldn't sow, then I would say to you right now, confess it to God and ask forgiveness. Don't wait to see if you get caught. Go ahead and confess it and begin to make it right. Amen? In the same way, don't become discouraged when no one notices the good seed you're planting. We will reap in a different season than we sow. One of the things I say to couples or individuals who have gone through a broken marriage and the person who is trying to put their life back together again and trying to do it God's way, I remind them, stay on the high road. Stay on the high road. Don't get down in the ditch. When somebody hurts you, stay on the high road. Continue to sow in the things of God, and you will reap in a season in the future. Don't give up doing good. Don't give up investing in God's kingdom. Paul warns us here is don't grow weary in doing good. My friends, I want to say that to you in the middle of COVID, in the middle of political unrest. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up church. God is still at work and God is preparing his church to do even greater things. In the proper time, we will reap a harvest both here and in eternity. Now, the final thing I want to say to you this morning, and this is where I believe the message gets exciting, is we reap more than we sow. You will reap 
more than you sow. I want to read to you from John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 3. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Now you say, wow, what do you mean exciting? That sounds pretty dismal. Still, verse 8, other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. It's very important that we listen and understand what Jesus is saying here, that we will in time reap more than we sow if we sow in the right place, if we sow the right things. Now, the startup company, a uh, Wesleyan publishing house called Seedbed, is doing some great things in the kingdom of God. And they, they, they built their whole premise marketing package around the idea of this passage, of that, that they've been called as a publishing company to sow seed by producing great uh, articles and, and, and publishing great books and literature and material for churches and theologians. And in talking about this passage, they pointed out that three of every four seeds we sow will amount to nothing. That's a 75% fail rate. Two of the seeds will germinate, sprout up, and seem to grow, but then will wilt and die. Only one out of every four seeds will mature into a fruit-bearing plant. That's only a 25% success rate, which looks like a failure until you do God's math. Now, do it in the framework of money. Let's say that somebody gave you a million dollars. And according to this parable, you're going to lose $250,000 right off the top. And within a short time, another $500,000 will disappear, leaving you only $250,000 of your original million dollars. <laughs> you, you, you didn't do very good on that investment. But that one seed will do something extraordinary. It will return a yield of 30, 60, or 90 to 100 times itself. So you go back to that million dollars if you invested in good soil, Invested in the right thing, in God's kingdom, that $250,000 60-fold becomes a whopping return of $15 million. That's called God's higher power math. I like God's math. Well, I like the way God thinks. Jesus said, anyone with ears here to hear should listen and understand. I love this proverb, an African proverb. Anyone can tell how many seeds are in an apple, right? But only God knows how many apples are in a seed. I like the way God thinks. And he challenges his church, the body of Christ, the followers of Jesus, 
to sow in the right places and you will produce a great harvest. Now throughout this pandemic, Mount Horeb has been sowing seeds of prayer, sowing seeds of biblical teaching and preaching, sowing seeds of generosity, sowing seeds of outreach. And my friends, I believe that we're seeing a harvest. Five years ago, Mount Horb invested heavily into technology. I got pushed back on that as the senior pastor. We're spending way too much money on technology. Well, where would we be today in the middle of a pandemic without technology? There are many more people watching online right now than sitting in this room. Earlier today, Jay up there, we were doing walkthrough early this morning and all the sound systems went down in this room. We had nothing. But because we hired good people, smart people in technology, they were up there with Jay underneath that table, pulling wires out, making things. And then today, right now, we're, we're, we're going wide open. You invest in the right things and God will produce a great harvest. I'm trusting God for an extravagant harvest. Will you join me in praying that God will produce a harvest at Mount Horb that will glorify God, glorify God and change the world? And here's what you need to pray for, my friends. You gotta pray for harvesters and workers to bring in the great harvest he will provide. He's gonna bring a harvest. We gotta be ready to go out and reap what God is gonna give. Somebody say amen to that. I'm as excited right now about the future of God's work than ever in my life. Coming out of a season of pandemic, or in a season of pandemic, in a season of unrest, God is still at work. Anyone with ears to hear should listen, listen and understand. 45 years ago, I turned to God and told him my concerns about being a social statistic I trusted God to give me a salvation story. And I continue to thank him for changing my life and producing a harvest beyond my wildest dreams. So church, if you want to sow in the right places, I would invite you to turn to God. I would ask you to tell God what you're struggling with. Tell God where you've been sowing in the wrong places. Confess that to him and trust God to help you to sow in the right places and begin to thank God for the harvest that's going to come. Just because you've sown bad seed in the past doesn't mean you have to keep sowing bad seed. Today, repentance means you turn around and you start sowing in a different place. As I thought about this message and why I sow in the garden of God, why I sow my seed for the glory of God, it's because of the goodness of God. I trust the goodness of God. Amen? I trust in God's goodness. And I've asked Melody to come and sing a song to remind us of how good our God is. And if you can trust in the goodness of God, you will follow the advice of this passage and it'll change the odds in your life because we serve a good God. Amen? Listen to these words.